Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Stephen. And welcome to this week's New Statesman podcast. We talk about the European elections. And who should be the next Tory leader, who shouldn't be the next Tory leader, and who nonetheless will be the next Tory leader. Stephen, you were manning the New Statesman live blog, the thriller that it was, which actually you unexpectedly got to close early, right? So does that mean that the results were more interesting than we thought they might be, or less interesting? It's just that they were... They were they were quicker than we right. expected them to be, which I realised I actually still don't fully understand why that was the case. Just London just really sort of got a wiggle on, right, in a way that people were not expecting. And I guess Scotland, because of the hangman, I, this, I, I learned this word, is it Sabbatarianism of the Western Isles. They don't work on Sunday. They yeah. religiously observe. So if it had been really close and those Western Isles votes had made a difference, we wouldn't have got that result until Monday morning for Scotland as a region. Neither of those happened, though. Well, yeah, so basically none, none of the things which usually delay it happened but so it's odd because my assumption at first was oh right it's, it's quicker because they haven't had any local authority results to count but then i remembered then the results of the euros are always on a sunday so you know, it, yeah it, it, it wasn't then oh well you had to declare something else first regardless it meant that the results had basically well my set of results had all come in by around one o'clock so i was able to to close the the live blog and and go to bed at a, a fairly reasonable time once the industrial qualities of ginger ale I'd had to prevent myself from falling asleep had worn off and then Patrick uh, very ably did Northern Ireland and the kind of official Scotland results when they came in. Well let's start with Northern Ireland because that is interesting so you've got three MEPs one each from is it the DUP? Yes. Alliance which is a non-aligned party but a pro-EU party that is a sister party of the Liberal Democrats and the third MP is Sinn Fein. Although actually, the... is it Sinn Fein? Okay, that's so the actually one. the the first MEP was the DUP. The yeah. second was Sinn Fein, and the Alliance got the got the third. Which was a fight between the Alliance and some other pro Brexity Unionist parties, right? Essentially, I mean, so I actually haven't looked at all of how the STV stuff came through, but essentially, in many ways, actually, the the Northern Ireland result is very similar to the story of the results across the United Kingdom and indeed the kind of political problem of Brexit as a whole, which is that there is a decent sized chunk of people who are willing to vote on Remain Leave lines and there is enough of them that it is quite difficult to win a majority on whether on traditional lines, whether that be left, right or constitutional lines. However, there are 
too few people to vote along Remain Leave lines for that to be a viable alternative path to a majority either. I was really excited that was not the Star Wars Cantina theme tune. Have you got all your different theme, like different ringtones for different people? I have basically two ringtones. Uh-huh. I have a set of ringtones for everyone who's not my partner, and then I have uh-huh. a set of ringtones for my partner so I can, you know, triage. I mean, that makes sense. So that's the thing I think was interesting. You said this in the live blog, was that we were halfway between... If you talk about the realignment of British politics, it hasn't got there yet, right? We're stuck awkwardly between the two, if you are going to say that whether or not people are voting Labour Tory, Unionist or whatever, versus Remain Leave, that actually it's just deadlocked completely because the old order is dying, the new one is struggling to be born. Well, yeah, indeed. And and so, I mean, one of the kind of the takes that... Uh, I mean, there are lots of takes coming out of the European election, and I think are either trying too hard or not trying enough. But, you know, the one which is, oh, this shows that at the next election, yeah, you're going to have to be the party of Remain or the party of Leave. Yeah, I don't ever buy that one because... It's a dem- well, the problem is it's demonstrably untrue. If you're Labour and you go full-bore second re- referendum, great, you might pick up some more seats in places or strengthen your hold on seats you already have or stop you losing seats to the Lib Dems. But you are also sacrificing, like... Ashfield or wherever it might be or Bishop Auckland but yeah so but that's the problem isn't it it's not like wow there's just an easy thing that add this and you just take a huge number of percentage points on and you don't there's no downside to it at all yeah and because ultimately almost everywhere has a large enough supply of remain voters or leave voters for them to be damaging to you on the first past the post I mean so to take say you know the kind of thing that people like oh you know Labour has to hold together a a coalition which runs from Kensington and Ashfield well in in Kensington they won by I want to say 71 votes yeah and it was I want to say 47 but yeah it was under 100 right there, there are more than 100 people who will both in Kensington who will both have voted to leave the EU and will have voted for Labour in 2017 in Ashfield which they again held by a three-figure sum there are more than a thousand people who will have voted for the Labour Party in Ashfield in 2017 who voted to stay in the EU. So there is no clean transition. And I think one of the, the really fascinating subplot of this referendum is every indication isn't the Conservative core vote, you know, in their hilarious fifth place finish, had about the same number of Remainers as it did Leavers. Now, Bluntly, if you are a Remainer at this point voting for the Conservative Party... You deserve everything you get. Well, no, I just think that those people are clearly not... That, I think, alone discredits this idea that a party of Remain can form a a viable governing... And not least because the the problem that all political... Well, that both political parties slash all political parties are going to have to grapple with is that the one success, in heavy inverted commas, of Theresa May is that mostly the way that referendums can make governing quite difficult afterwards is the losing side does blame you, but the winning side doesn't thank you. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, Theresa May, not a woman who looks very thanked yeah. right now. So that, I think but that does hold up. she has at least managed to... Managed. So, she has know, brought the country together so, in thinking that she was terrible so at being yeah, Prime Minister. This thing is, being an angry leaver is still a political identity, which there are a number of things that she could have done that would probably have meant that it was was not a political identity three years on. But, yeah, so let's let's imagine for a moment that the Labour Party goes into a snap election in autumn or late summer of this year on a second referendum position, and it can cobble together, thanks to that, a majority with the aid of the other smaller pro-Remain parties. 
let's say that referendum is then won by Remain. Big if, yeah. Right, but let's, yeah, let's just, let's, I mean, these are all, these are all fairly large <laughs> ifs, right? Because, yeah. I mean, this thing, it's all of the polling suggesting that Labour would win on the second referendum requires you to believe that 20% of people would be sufficiently angry about Brexit not happening that they would vote for the Brexit party, knowing full well that thanks to first past the post, this would not result in them electing a Brexit MP, but would result in a government that would stop Brexit led by Jeremy Corbyn. This is, so this was the, kind of theme that ran through your live blog wasn't it is that actually the the squeeze message at the general election is so potent of like vote for us or the other side will get in of the big two that it's so uh, tempting but should be resisted to overinterpret from these results and the other thing i thought was really interesting was saying to what extent is the brexit party just ukip 2.0 right then and actually that really should affect how we treat it because i was going through their list of candidates and it's really i mean i think you put this in your piece last week it's really obvious how much of their infrastructure comes from ukip how many of their candidates are former ukip supporters or even people who've run for parliament before you know or, or actually off or from kind of what i would describe as nigel farage's inner circle right of just people that he's very closely bound to and that does kind of affect it but how significant is them winning what's 31.7% of the vote? Like, actually, does that change British politics? Or is this just purely, I'm going to have a bit of a free kick, a party that says Brexit on it, I don't care, they haven't got a manifesto, I don't care about any of that? Well, I mean, it's probably a combination of all three. So the thing that deserves and needs further study is it's not clear... Now, obviously, from an organisational perspective, it's UKIP. It's why in the live blog I was going, well, this is a UKIP game, this is a UKIP hold. Because ultimately, if a party has the same... Uh, well, if Al- Alexandra Phillips wins a seat in the South East after having previously been UKIP's head of press, yeah. right? It's not exactly... like it, For a party led by Nigel Farage, who is the most recognisable UKIP politician ever, then that does, doesn't... It doesn't feel like a not a UKIP victory. Yeah, and in terms of the people who he trusts who are, uh, uh, you know, have their hands on the levers of that party, ultimately he, he met them all via UKIP, right? The, the things they have learned to do well and, you know, the kind of ways that they keep the subtext subtext are things they learned at UKIP, right? So it's... Talking about that, there was an amazing moment, I'm going to say from Richard Tice on the BBC, when he was, I think he was a bit annoyed because Alistair Campbell had riled him up and said something like, oh, you bet you took a few rubles during the campaign. And then he got all kind of like, we didn't take any Russian money. And Alistair Campbell went, uh, I think, why can't you take a joke? Which obviously wound him up even further. And he said this very telling phrase, which was something like, Labour needs to ask why it's losing in its heartlands and it's the party of now Islington elites. And I was like, oh, look at that. There's, there's a little dog whistle there for somebody. Because there is no analysis that you can look at that says Islington is not a Labour heartland, right? I think actually it's in your, in yeah. your piece this week is that they've been winning Islington for donkey's years. I mean, uh, yeah, there, there are many things about Brexit discourse which wind me up. And then, indeed, there are many things to continue my, oh God, it is now becoming a weekly tradition of Stephen complains about a group of Labour MPs who refuse to vote for the deal, refuse to vote to stop <laughs> Brexit, and just sit there writing pained articles in Redbox about how it's all very complex. Ultimately, if your definition of Labour heartland includes places which voted Conservative in 1983 and 1987 and excludes places which have voted for the Labour Party quite literally since Keir Hardy was, you know... (laughs) Right. Then, Alive. Then just say white. Yeah, yeah, just just say white. It's just like no no you know, no no you know, you'll feel better and the rest of us will actually I have a lot more time for you know the fact that like Gloria Di Piero goes that you know, we have a problem holding together both halves of our coalition, yeah, you know, including you know, small town, etc. So she she doesn't act like 
Hackney is somehow an illegitimate part of the. This the, is what really Labour. annoys me, and I think political journalism indulges it. I've been writing this lecture, which I'm giving in Oxford this week, about the failures of political journalism, and one of them is that perception that there is a kind of Volk, right? And this, mm. there are some people who are much more legitimately British than others. And if we're going to say, oh, we hate identity politics, which people do all the time, particularly on the right, then you cannot expect to hold up citizenship is an identity that everyone merits equally once they've got a British passport, right? So you cannot say that a second generation Nigerian British person who works as a nurse in London is somehow not as British as someone upset about fishing in Grimsby like it's sh- that shouldn't that shouldn't be an argument that you can make and yet it's so and I don't think it's an, an argument anyone would any longer make out loud but the framing of those we go vops popping in this community right just so implicitly like oh no it'd be terrible to lose these people because these are real British people these people are less you know well, yeah it's like the yeah the, the framing of so much of it you know from the broadcasters you know when I was doing sort of post like oh you know Labour is at risk of losing its northern heartlands. It's just like, well, okay, maybe that's the case. However, just as there are good reasons to suppose that the liberal surge in the Euros will not last past a Euro, there are good reasons to believe the Brexit Party one won't necessarily either. However, right, Islington is also a Labour heartland. Mm. Camden is also a a Labour heartland, right? It is entirely legitimate. I I think it's not sensible, for, for reasons we should get onto, it's entirely legitimate to look at those results and go, we have a problem in our heartland, and we're going to go for the one. We're going to go for the one which the majority of our voters uh, are aligned with, which is Remain. And we're going to go for a second referendum. Uh, yeah, if, if you're if you're going to try and pivot to either side of the Brexit poll, and you're the Labour Party, you probably are better off pivoting towards the one that two thirds of your vote backed, the majority of your members backed, yeah. the trade unions backed. Yeah, yeah. Then, then you are pivoting to the one to Kate Hoey. The pivot minority. to Hoey. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. I mean. I think, in some ways, like the reason why these elections are sort of pointless to kind of go, hmm, what, was, what does this tell us is, ultimately, if you look at the Conservative performance, you go, okay, well, that is a party that is heading towards extinction. If you look at the Labour result, you go, oh, well, that's not a party which is going to win general election anytime soon. Okay, the, ultimately, though, first past the post means those two takes cannot both be true, mm. which kind of suggests that, in some ways, the u- more useful question and the thing which would which would worry me in both of their shoes is, given we know at a general election that magical button of X for, can't for win us, here, you'll yeah. get the Tories. Yeah. yeah. Well, which group of voters do I think that is a more plausible message for? Now, from kind of in descending order of plausibility, ultimately there is a reason why Nigel, Nigel Farage is such a long-time advocate for electoral reform. In the, that that argument is much more lethal for them because thus far, and this is why I think Peterborough is something which you know if I were so this is the by-election coming up in June uh, yeah on the 6th of June they won all the wards of the of the borough council as a whole the borough council and the constituency do not share exactly identical boroughs there are bits of Peterborough borough council not in Peterborough constituency however they did well enough that you would assume that they would probably be able to win it in the by-election that was whose seat uh, Fiona on a oh, yeah. oh, who took the dodgy speeding points. And, so yeah, so Labour MP. It's the perfect storm, partly because this is a fun thing about the recall process and I don't think it's sufficiently understood. Go on. When it happens, the local council sends a, a letter round explaining why the recall has happened, which essentially means... It's like a free election leaflet for your opponents, basically, yeah, going, sen- we done a bad thing, there, yeah, sorry about that. Essentially a bit going... By the way, you might have to vote again because your MP has done X. We would expect the governing party, even 
yeah, if we didn't, if we knew nothing about British politics, we would go, oh, the governing party will lose because it's a by-election, right? And then, of course, there are loads of other reasons why we would expect the Conservative Party in their present position to to, to do very badly. But is um, Peterborough quite Brexity? Peter is, Peterborough is quite Brexity. I mean, I mean, in 2016, not just having voted for the yeah. Brexit Party now, yeah. So we would expect the Brexit. Yeah, we would expect for the governing party to struggle, we would expect it to be quite difficult for the Labour Party to style out uh, <laughs> its its previous MP. I mean, even though, like, you know, it's one of those things where I do genuinely feel quite sorry for the local activists, right, who, yeah, ultimately, they didn't select a, the National Party immediately after the court case went, we'd like you to stand down. She hasn't stood down. She went, nope. And they're probably going to... I will never log off, yeah, she said. <laughs> they're probably going to lose the seat. But, these things, how consequential are all these things? In a way, not at all. In another way, as we'll of course discuss in part two hugely, because even though there's loads of reasons to think that the Brexit party squeeze message of vote for us and vote, vote, for, vote for Brexit, you don't get Brexit, you get a Labour government, then we'll stop Brexit, will of course be, be potent for the Conservative Party. The guess is if it's, an, if it's a sort of nine-way bun fight, then actually at that point, do those messages kind of come out? Do, or do you, can you, you know, is it possible to land the kind of it's X can't win here when it's, you know, Labour versus Conservatives versus Brexit Party? It'd be well, very messy. This is the, the big known unknown about when the next election is. If this parliament goes the full five years, which I find hard to imagine, but let's give it house room, right? Yeah. Then there will have been several more by-elections there will have been several council elections. There will have been London elections. There will have been uh, elections to the devolved parliaments in, in Wales and Scotland. We've got London next year, Scotland 2021, Wales 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So that has that gives voters a lot of opportunities to go on holiday when the card of don't you want Theresa May out, don't yeah. you want Jeremy Corbyn to stay out cannot be played by the respective parties. And at that point, maybe you know going to other parties has become habit formed. I kind of think... At this point, the one advantage to an autumn election from a Conservative perspective and a Labour perspective is, yes, you have the nightmare of having an election when Brexit is not resolved, but you also aren't swimming against a much smaller tide of people going on holiday to other parties. But actually, this is where I think the Liberal Democrats would worry me more in both parties' shoes, because let's say I am the, the Conservative incumbent in Chelmsford or Cheltenham or... I don't know why I'm going on a chill vibe. Yeah. So your message to, to both Brexit and Liberal Democrats is Corbyn plus a Brexit message, right? Yeah. The only Vote for us or you'll get Corbyn. Vote for us and Brexit will either not happen or will happen. Yeah, but this thing is the, <laughs> the, bu- the button that the Conservative Party is going to be able to and comfortable pressing is if you don't vote for us, actually you won't get Brexit anyway and, you know, that's Gary Corbyn. I wouldn't bet the farm if I were the Conservatives on merely the button marked Corbyn when they will almost certainly not to foreshadow part two too much have picked a leader who revolts liberal democrat inclined voters let's come back to that because let, I mean let's let, uh, I mean who could that leader be Stephen it's so exciting more of that in part two This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And now for part two, the slow motion unfolding horror of the Tory leadership race. Okay, I'm going to go through state of the race as it currently is. And you're going to have to tell me who I've forgotten. Boris Johnson, clear favourite according to the YouGov internal polling, followed by Dominic Raab, everyone's favourite slightly defective action man. Rory Stewart, currently last seen tweeting from a park somewhere and his new tactic of doing a walkabout around the country and inviting people to come and, I don't know, give him ice cream or something. Esther McVeigh, who I just discovered on a great Facebook group called Ladies for Leave, which is almost unparodiable, former DWP secretary and uh, children's TV presenter. The Sag, has the Sag declared? Yes. Sajid Javid, Home Secretary. Matt Hancock of the Matt Hancock app. Yeah, you are, you have got six out of, of ten. Come this on. This is very exciting. There must be another woman, mustn't there? Come I'm on. not giving you clues. Ma- oh, Michael Gove of yeah. OBS. Michael Gove. No, okay, no, come on. Give me, start giving me clues with the other ones, because when you say them, obviously I'll be able to remember. Poss- oh, Kit Malthouse of the Malthouse. Yeah. Presumably he at least knows what the Malthouse compromise is, but literally no one else does. So you've got two more. Oh, this is tense. Okay, so come on. One of them, I'm trying to think of Do a, a mime, come on. <laughs> Um, what's a clue? One of them is in the cabinet and is a Brexiteer. Penny Mordant? Nope. <laughs> and like... one of and the other one is in the cabinet. I mean, I'm going to say so. One of them, one of the ones you haven't you've forgotten is going to be deeply embarrassing to our brand that you've forgotten. Is all I'm saying. Tony Blair. <laughs> a shocking intervention from him, but okay. We'll no, see. so not not Tony Blair. It's just more kind of like you know, in terms of like a recent issues of the new statesman kind of way. No, go on, help me. Jeremy Hunt. Oh, yes, Jeremy Hunt, Jeremy yes. Jeremy Hunt, yes. You know. The trouble with Jeremy Hunt is he's just very generic, and I sort of in my mind had him grouped with Matt Hancock. And Andrea Leadsom is the... I knew there was yeah. another woman, and of course, as a mother, yeah. Andrea Leadsom was her. Okay, right. I mean, it could be worse, that field. I mean, so the, the thing is, actually, I looked at a picture of them, and I just kind of... I had a conversation with a very depressed Conservative MP beforehand, and I kind of said out loud um, in the new politics bullpen... Gosh, it's a bad field. And I actually realise it's not, really. They actually do have plenty of people who, you know, at least we have to give house room to the idea, could, you know, at least at the very least stab out a second, you know, kind of, you know, grim hold on power of the kind that they have now. Yeah, I mean, um, if, I, if you had to rank them in, your, in order of your preference, not that obviously you're a 60-year-old Tory member in the Shires, but, you know, there are some that I would definitely rank. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to fall in love with any Tory leader particularly, but there are some of them I would definitely put in a different category to some of the others. Oh, so I realise, I mean, if I were ranking them based on, you know, imagine I am a Conservative MP in a marginal seat, or I am an activist who wants to keep... So purely not whether or not you think they're good, but whether or not you think they're electorally 
potent, which is different things, right? Would you be a good prime minister is one consideration versus would you, if you go to a snap election in the autumn before it's become obvious whether you are or not, would you be likely to gain seats of the Conservatives? Are two different things. Who do you say is the most electorally potent? Because they think it's Boris Johnson, right? Yeah, but so they think it's Boris Johnson. written so about his... His figures were incredible. Like, was it minus 51 now, approval rating in London? London, minus 35 everywhere else. Which is, used to be plus 50 back when he was mayor, right? Or the yeah. start of it, yeah. I'm, I'm going to cheat and do them in reverse order because I feel more confident about the reverse order. Okay. Right? Now, Boris Johnson is palpably... The Electoral le- poison? The least electorally effective candidate, right? Because... Everyone else has a really large don't know figure, right? So it kind of comes down to when change launched as TIG, I said, look, there is really very little point going, oh, what do the polls su- suggest about how they do? You're much better off eyeballing that group of people and going, how do I think these people will perform under electoral fire when they are given an opportunity to stand before the country? I, and, and that. And assess- what was the answer? The, the answer was 3.4%? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to intrude on. I was is it private grief when it happened in an election, but my my point is is that actually it turned out that it was a much more useful yardstick for people to go, okay, how do all these people perform, you know, in in electoral conditions than it is to go, oh, what do people who mostly who could, well in the case of change, part of their problem is that people still couldn't pick the eleven out of a, a lineup, but we are talking about a field of candidates who Boris Johnson and Michael Gove aside, people do not know anything about. And then if you look at the country as a whole, the two of them that are known are widely disliked, right? Michael Gove, having spent that time as education secretary, managed to upset all, basically all teachers who are about half a million people who are married to often other teachers. But you know what I mean? He's got actually the people who know him in the country, I think are probably less likely to be favourable to him than people who are about to meet him. I also think, so one of the things Conservative MPs will say and people out in DLS will say, oh, you know, Jeremy Hunt and Michael Gove have both got a problem because of doctors and teachers. I just don't think that those problems are remotely comparable because if you go to the doctors about a bad knee, the doctor doesn't say, you know, this may take a little bit longer because of Matt Hancock. Whereas there is just a more active kind of like, well, thanks to Mr Gove, we've done this. From. We don't get that, yeah, because he's scrapped building schools for the future, we're all in a shed. Uh, yeah, so there's there's much more of that kind of politicisation and political mobilisation if you upset teachers than there is if you upset... Oh, and I was about to say any, and then I remembered the army and the police. Even the army and the police, right, the army, like, you know, just has to do that thing where it's just like, oh, you know, senior defence sources have told... Yeah, a paper's defence correspondent, and we could no longer defend the Falklands or whatever. Right? Yeah, it's just more politically potent. I actually think the junior doctors thing. I'm not remotely belittling it as a public policy. Yeah, I'm not saying I think it was a a great bit of public policy, but I think that people in the bubble tend to overestimate its potency because they tend to know people who are doctors. I mean, not I just don't. I mean, we can visibly see most people have heard of Michael Gove and do have an opinion of him. Most people have not heard of, of Jeremy Hunt and even fewer really have heard generic. of of Matt Hancock. Um, also looks really generic. So basically, I would say there are two groups. There's Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, who are known quantities, right? Who Polarising, I who think is a nice phrase for them. Picking them immediately means that the Conservative Party cannot go, I'm new, which is a, a very big weapon, I would say, 
to voluntarily divest yourself of when you are a government that has been in power for nine years, mm. facing a leader of the opposition who has been in power for three years and has been to the country once already, right? So one of the... This is the John Major theory, isn't it? That actually yeah. the 1992 election, it really mattered that they got someone to go, hey, look at our new guy. Like, he left school at 16. You never heard of him. This is not what you think the Conservatives are like, but we are like this. Yeah. Which you could plausibly do with... I mean, like a Rory Stewart, you could obviously do it with, but you could do it with one of the Brexity junior Brexity candidates. Yeah. Can't really do it with Andrea Leadsom, given she had a go-round last time. Yeah, but no one knows her. I mean, this, this thing is, it, it didn't matter that John Major had been Foreign Secretary, because as far as a lot of voters are concerned, he might as well have been in witness protection. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is the thing is, Johnson and Gove, meaning the Tory party, foregoes its chance for change. Now, you may have a sufficiently bad opinion from a, you know, from a kind of, you know, in this thing where I'm, I'm cosplaying as a Conservative MP in a marginal seat. Maybe my, my view of, of the other candidates is so bad that I decide that the chance for change is not worth taking. I just don't think that's true. I think it's really... St- so what I think is striking is most people don't know Sajid Javid. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the opinion polls, right, he does slightly better than a, the generic Tory score, which... Basically, the people who have heard of him... So the interesting question... People who have heard of him like him yeah. more than the others. Yeah, so is... so the in, this Well, the interesting question, is that because more people like Sajid Javid? Is that because some people really like the idea of voting for the first mm. ethnic minority prime minister? Is that because the people who who, who like him have, have heard about... I mean, then this is the other question. It's like, Do they like the idea of someone who's Home Secretary being PM because they think it's a proper, decent-sized job to have had yeah. rather than being a backbencher and or whatever? It, is, yeah. it that they've, is it that they've heard of him saying, Windrush could have happened to me? Or is it that they've heard of him saying, Shamima Begum, who cares about petty things like citizenship and our international obligations? Yeah. Or is it that he's in this perfect storm where the groups of voters who've heard those two things like them and then when you put them together, the, the, the yeah. whole is less than the sum of its part? And then you get to the others and you are much more in a kind of eyeball it in which point, weirdly, despite the fact that occasionally someone quotes a Tory MP saying something cruel anonymously and people go, oh, that is very cruel. But actually, it is perfectly legitimate to look at these candidates who no one knows. And as one Tory MP said to me, I just think that people, when they look at Rob for a while, will start to think he seems mean and evil. And it's just like, you know... That is that is actually the consideration they. Well, should have apply. your first big interview post in when it's you know, your hat is sort of officially in the ring with Ma. We're having to defend calling feminists obnoxious bigots and saying that life was much. You know, because I think he could have got away with a sort of father's rights agenda, and you'll see that he put in his pledge. One of the things he put in was more um, paternity leave, which you can kind of present as a as actually a kind of feminist thing as well as a, a men's rights thing. But to have to then defend all that your slightly weird remarks from which you now sort of retcon as being like, oh, I hadn't found the right woman yet. You know, I wouldn't say I was in my wild younger day who among us has not said these kind of things i think that's a tough hurdle to to kind of overcome and then the fact that actually he's put out more policy detail maybe like the 15p income tax thing seems like a really needless giant policy commitment to put out front and center that just seems way off the reservation yeah i mean yeah so the dynamic of this of the of this election is that conservative mps are basically saying well they're basically saying we'd really like you not to have an election we're mostly opposed to a second referendum. But because we're not convinced that you can stick to your promise of a second election, everyone is also going, can you win a general election? Now, I think Rob is essentially now running a candidacy of, I will definitely go for an election, because this parliament is not going to have a 15p income tax. It's just not going to make the decisions on tax and spend that would, would make well, that I know, because you'd, you'd have to just abolish whole departments, yeah. entirely cut 
I mean, the only, I mean, how on earth do you even get that much money? Like, you have to raise, like, pensions or something like that. I mean, da-da-da-da-da, and a terrible idea that would be. I mean, I just don't think there's money in the welfare budget you could cut. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's nonsense. It, it, it's, yeah, it's nonsense from soup to nuts. Plus no deal, right? So he becomes the candidate of imminent election, which then is obviously problematic for him. Now, I think... So if you think your, th- your thesis, if you're going out there promising no deal, lots of Tory MPs will hear that as you're going in out there promising an election. Well, in many ways, the Tory leadership election is more like a kind of physics equation than it is, right? So there are two waveforms which could collapse. Waveform one <laughs> right. is I, this Conservative MP I am cosplaying as, believe Boris Johnson to be the election-winning asset he was when he was mayor of, before yeah. the referendum campaign. Now, that waveform might not collapse, right? Because although that is just statistically the wrong-headed, it's just wrong, right? Yeah. It's yeah. just wrong. If you're yeah. picking a candidate on electability, pick Don't. literally any of the others. Yeah. However, people believe it. They've believed it for a while despite it being wrong. There is no evidence that they will not continue believing it till the 23rd of July when Boris Johnson is unveiled as Conservative leader. However, seeing as that waveform could collapse at any point, right? Like, you you don't have to think very... There are loads and loads of examples in politics of political parties or countries believing things which are demonstrably untrue. You know, I mean, public support for the welfare cuts obviously being the other example up until the first point where someone goes, here's a tangible thing that you claim to support. Are you still into it? Oh, God, no, I'm not. So that could collapse. Waveform two is essentially, at the moment... The group of MPs who who fear an election while Brexit is resolved are not yet sold on the argument that Jeremy Hunt is trying to make, which is to promise no deal is to trigger an election. And if you have an election when Brexit is unresolved, yeah, it's... Hello, Prime Minister Corbyn. Hello, Prime Minister Corbyn. Now, if either of those waveforms collapse, then that creates a problem for Boris Johnson. And the reason why there are so many candidates, including many who will probably have declared by the time this, this drops for listeners... The reason why there are so many candidates in kind of the third lane, right? So there's lane one, the establishment, Jeremy Hunt, Sajid Javid, Matt Hancock candidates. There's the, you know, the I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, Boris Johnson, Dominic Raab, Esther McVeigh. Yeah. And then there are people running essentially in the I have impeccable leave credentials, which means I can I can do a compromise. I'm going to seek a negotiated Brexit. Michael Gove. Yeah, Michael Gove. I hmm. had a whole Not list so easy, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Kit, Kit Mulhouse. I mean, I mean, bless. So Kit Mulhouse yeah. is actually running in kind of Contest 4, which is essentially the like... I'd like know, people to have heard of me yeah, by the, the end of this. Yeah, the awareness running campaign. Fine, which was the kind of Crab Javid sort of vibe last time, right? Yeah. Although, <laughs> that ended in a sexting scandal. Hey, that's exciting. I wonder who will agree to the Rachel Sylvester interview that will knack of their candidacy and I who wonder who will be caught sexting well that's something to look forward to if you had to place a bet at this point about who would win Boris Johnson there's this short campaign I think basically if, if we assume that every day there is a 10% chance the waveform collapses yeah the fewer days the there fewer are the better days, yeah. the next question is whether or not you think that actually would that split the party I mean so Rory Stewart said he wouldn't serve under him I think there's probably a few, quite a few people in that camp are there people who are sufficiently in belief that he is not fit to hold high office that they would actually actually leave the party well this is where the weakness of change becomes mm. politically significant it's 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 because their big argument was and this actually i think has got a lot of truth to it was that the lib well one of their big arguments was the liberal democrats vitality in the country clearly an argument in some doubt the much more kind of cromulent and still standing argument is that the lib dems are not a congenial home for defectors from either party because you know if you're the Tories particularly if you're someone in a fairly safe Tories you've, you've fought them in council elections they're, they're the enemy etc etc mm. 
ditto in the in the Labour Party. But because, yeah, I mean, I spoke to someone in change who was talking about, we were talking about the future, and, and they basically said, you know, well, the important thing is they're someone who's very much in favour of, you know, putting their hands up and trying to be more friendly to the Lib Dems. And they said, we need to ask ourselves, would you join this party right now? I certainly wouldn't. Mm. And and that means that those people will grin and bear it. However, the thing which... You mean change, like change. other people, yeah, right. Yeah. The thing which would worry me if I were this Tory MP or Boris Johnson is the group of MPs who have no prospect of defecting but have no careers left on the front bench Mm. or indeed in Tory party politics are at retirement age or are independently wealthy. Ken Clark. Ken Clark, (laughs) Philip Hammond, Dominic Grieve. Right, so you you only need four potentially to have the crossover. You then obviously need to... Well, because then that means that even with the DUP, you can't cobble you together. You can't cobble together the confidence vote, and I think. So if they just went, I'm going to sit as an independent for the rest of this parliament, and then I'm and I'm at oot the sort of well, Frank Field. Or you say tactic. I'll go for the vote, the vote of no confidence to prevent you doing a no deal Brexit, and, and say I'm prepared to bring the government down yeah. rather than you do this. Um, yeah, like yeah, Philip Philip Hammond, yeah, his career is over and Philip Hammond is not so delusional. There's a reason why Philip Hammond has started doing the kind of like... He did a proper YOLO Mar interview where he was just like, well that sounds like a terrible idea, doesn't it? I'm Philip Hammond! Yeah, and and, yeah, and Philip Hammond does have a a small but perfectly formed following in the Conservative Party. (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) And and they also happen to be people who are in that same political niche, right? People who'd be sad to be MPs, right? They were ambitious people, but they're also not stupid people. And they know that they have no political future under a Boris Johnson-led yeah. Conservative Party. They oppose no deal. And they also are bluntly not going to miss their MP's salary. And so I can... Yeah. If you're going to leave politics, then you might as well leave it in a way that you can tell yourself later that you did it to, to stop an absolute catastrophe happening to Britain. That yeah. is quite a decent way out. Well, we must stop at that point. We will no doubt return to the question of who the next Tory leader is going to be and indeed what's going on with Brexit. A couple more times before I leave for the Cincinnati Inquirer. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Helen Lewis, and my co-host, Stephen Bush. We're produced by Nick Hilton, and our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Why not pick a print copy of the magazine up this week? Because Stephen and I have both written cover stories, Stephen on the fallout from the Euro elections, more exciting digest of that, and I have written, frankly, quite a mean piece about Theresa May. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.